Hey friends, welcome back to another Seed Talk with Lisa and Lane. Hi, Lane. Hello. Hi, everybody. We are just thrilled today to have someone who's become a good friend and he is just um, such such a gift to the gardening world. I am happy to welcome Joe Lample. Hi, Joe. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I am doing really, really great. And so Lane and I want to invite you. We're now showing Joe's <laughs> latest and greatest book. We want to invite you to head over to the our YouTube channel if you're not already watching over there, because there's lots of great stuff going on visually, not to mention you can see our faces. So <laughs> Um, we're not just on a podcast app. We are over there on YouTube, and we are thrilled today to talk to Joe about must-grow vegetables mm. from seed. Yeah. And um, we're just glad to have him here. And I'm going to turn it over to Lane. And um, so, Lane, what are we going to? How are we going to approach these? We are going to walk through three vegetables that Joe really thinks you must grow, and you can grow all three from seed. And I want to say thank you to Amy from Joe's team because she has rounded up some really beautiful images for us to include in our presentations today. And I believe this is our first vegetable-oriented seed talk episode, if I'm not mistaken. So if you're not hungry now, I think it's safe to say you will be by the end of this episode. Exactly. <laughs> So thank you so much for being here, Joe. Can you introduce yourself to everyone just in case they're not familiar with you? Uh, hi, Elaine. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I'd be oh, happy geez. to do that. Uh, I often say I'm Joe Lample, the Joe behind Joe Gardner, because a lot of people, when they introduce me, they just think I'm, my name is Joe Gardner, <laughs> which is fine with me, but uh, that's so it's Joe Lample, the Joe behind Joe Gardner. And uh, you know, I've been involved in horticulture for all my adult life, pretty much. Uh, fortunately, my passion is also my profession. And my my real focus is helping people feel like they are more empowered and they feel more confident. I often say, uh, you know, I try to help you become a better, smarter, more confident gardener. So that's through organic gardening and encouraging people to stop waiting until they think they got it right and just dive in with both feet. And that's how you figure it out. And that's how you become that better, smarter, more confident gardener. So I have the, I'm the host and creator and uh, executive producer of a PBS series called Growing a Greener World that's uh, at 12 seasons in, Emmy award-winning series. So we're real proud of that, but it's um, it's all about organic vegetable gardening, telling other people's stories on how they're doing it, you know, it's putting the spotlight on other people. And then the Joe Gardner Show podcast and um, the Online Gardening Academy, where we have online courses that we dive deep in, and we're really proud of those. So a lot going on. There's never a dull moment around here. You know, I'm glad you mentioned your show, Joe. I don't think I've ever, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this to you before. Back in the years when I was doing, still going to the Williamsburg Farmer's Market, which was located in the heart of Colonial Williamsburg, which yeah. was a big, busy market. I would come home from the market. You're always, you're dead. You know, you got up at four <laughs> o'clock to get there. I would come home from the market and crash on the couch after I had some lunch. And what would I watch? Oh. Grow a greener world. Because oh, nice. my local PBS station, it came on like at 1.30 in the afternoon, I think. Um, and it was just such a pleasure. I just I love the show. And we just really appreciate um, all that effort because it was really, really helpful and enjoyable. Thank you. That's great to hear. And I always get a kick out of finding out the times that the local PBS stations air my show. It's like 1.30 on a Saturday afternoon when everybody's outside gardening. Okay, that's good. Well, maybe not. They're in by now. They Maybe they're in. But And people like you, I know the yep. feeling of being dog tired after coming back from the farmer's market. Yep. Okay, well, thank you again so much for being here, Joe. And let's yeah. get started. Okay. So can you just give us some background about where you live, what zone you're gardening in, and also how long you've been growing vegetables. Okay. Thank you. Yes. I live uh, on the North end of Atlanta, Georgia. So I'm in seven B I'm in Alpharetta, Georgia. Uh, I have been gardening since literally since I was eight years old. And honestly, I was growing everything that could put out roots at that time. I mean, I, I was so amazed that stuff could grow. I, I wanted to know about everything. Of course you can't know it all in one year or a hundred years, but I'm trying. And uh, seed starting has become something that maybe is my favorite element of gardening because I'm so fascinated by what happens from that tiny little seed and through the next six or eight weeks and then ultimately through the next four months or whatever it may be to 
enjoy the harvest and watch it grow. But the seed starting element to me is the most fascinating of all of it because more happens in that six to eight week period of time than the rest of the growing cycle. And it's under your watch. It's under your care. You really take ownership in that. And, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a skill. It's fascinating. There's a little luck involved, but I think it makes you a better gardener when you can successfully sow plants from seed than maybe anything else that I can think of, because there's so much, as I said, that happens during that time. And it's right. It's happening right before your eyes. Plus a lot of times it happens when you can't do anything outside. So that's good too. Oh yeah, definitely. And that kind of leads into my next question. Why do you like growing from seed versus buying transplants at your nursery or something? And are there certain vegetables that you prefer to purchase transplants for instead? Man, that's a good question. Well, there's a, a first of all, I like having the choices on what I'm growing into my garden. If I were just to rely on transplants, I would be at the mercy of whatever the buyer decided they want me to be able to pick from from their meager shelves oftentimes of, you know, the limited yeah. shelf space that they have. And it's usually the old standby F1 hybrids that, you know, they're all, they're great. And they definitely serve a purpose, but I am into varieties and heirlooms and things that typically you're not going to find at the, on the shelf at the standard, you know, garden center. So taking control over what I grow, first of all, as far as the options go, many, many more, infinitely more varieties are available through seed than seedlings. Secondly, I want to know how they're grown. I don't know what the company that I'm buying them from has done with growth inhibitors or, you know, pumping them full of nitrogen or whatever it is. I, you know, I just, I'm an organic gardener. So I want to know that from the time that literally before I start my seeds, I want to buy organic seeds when I can. Uh, but if not, that's fine. I'll grow them out organically. But um, knowing the soil I'm growing them in, the lights they're getting, the water they're getting, the care they're getting under my watch, that's all very important. And I just find like I have much better results knowing that I have set those plants up for success from the very beginning when I start from seed. And I love doing it. As I said a minute ago, yeah. just it's so exciting to start them from seed. So, yeah. Yeah. And like you mentioned, you can start your gardening season a lot earlier by starting some seeds indoors compared to when you might start gardening outdoors. Yes. And that's a love of mine because, you know, when we have cabin fever in January, when I'm oh. starting my pepper seeds and then February, March, and, you know, you're just seeing all this greenery right before your eyes when everything else is pretty gray out there. Yeah. you There, there isn't any substitute for that. I'm just telling you, if, if that was the only reason people started seeds indoors and yeah. they abandoned it after that, they would still be fulfilled. <laughs> they would. Yeah. But don't you think also, Joe, you are so much more invested Yes. When you have cuddled and nurtured those seeds from a seed to a plant and a plant that you have cared for and grown up, it just helps you to be a better gardener once yeah. you put them out in the garden and actually learning what to do for them. I mean, that that definitely happens for me instead of bringing home a six pack, plunking them out in the garden. And then four days later, oh, my goodness, I totally forgot. I got yes. those plants and planted them. You know, <laughs> that is so true. You were so invested. I, I oftentimes see people referring to their seedlings as their babies or their children, mm -hmm. because that's oh, how yeah. they feel about it. And yeah. to your point, just to drive it home, you know, we take ownership almost to a fault, you know, like when we're hardening off our seedlings and uh, they're outside and now we've got this freezing night coming and we can't leave them outside. And we were hauling everything back inside for the night and then taking them back out the next day. You wouldn't do that with a six pack that you paid, you know, a few bucks for at the box right. store, but you sure as heck would, if you started them from seed, those, those are under your watch and you're going to do the best you can to make sure they are as healthy as possible. It's true. That yeah. is so true. All right. So how big is your vegetable garden? And do you grow in the ground, in raised beds, or in grow bags and containers? And I'm going to put up an image showing an overview of Joe's beautiful vegetable garden just to make everyone jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, that speaks to the fact that I grow most of what I have in raised beds. So yeah. my garden footprint is about 45 feet by 75 feet inside of that, that split rail fence. And there are 16 large raised beds that are 18 inches high. There are three tiers of six by six untreated cedar timbers. And then uh, just focusing on replenishing the soil every year a couple of times with some compost. And they're off and going. And so um, I also use grow bags and straw bales within that perimeter. But what's new this year that hasn't been photographed yet is just inside the interior of the fence, 
perimeter all the way around. We've now installed uh, raised beds, in-ground in ground beds, uh, the, and we're in its design for flowers. Thanks to you guys, we have we have become big customers of yours, and oh, we've good. loaded up with flowers to um, provide you know for beauty and for attracting pollinators, of course. And so uh, I can't wait for the, this year. To me, is going to be the most exciting yet. And that garden is about twelve years old now because it's going to have so much more life in it than it's ever had. Oh, you're going to love it. Well, Joe, I'm just going to do a forecast, okay? Okay. I'm going to forecast that a couple of those beds we're looking at that have vegetables <laughs> in it in a couple of years are going to have flowers also. Yeah. <laughs> it, I'm you know, good with I that. started out as a vegetable gardener and yeah. here I am. Yeah. <laughs> it's just very intoxicating. I uh, No doubt. No doubt. I can't wait. Okay, so now we're going to go through Joe's three must-grow vegetables that we mentioned earlier, and we're going to get an overview of some of his best tips and tricks for starting these and growing these. And first up, we're going to have a couple of warm season crops, and we are starting with a big one, and that is tomatoes. Okay. And yes, they are technically a fruit, but you know what we mean. <laughs> right. <laughs> so why are tomatoes one of the vegetables you think people must grow from seed? Okay. So first of all, it's a great gateway seed to sow, to learn how to start seeds. The irony here, and, and I'm going to make a, another correlation as we go into some of the other examples, but tomatoes, although they are probably, I don't know much that's easier to sow and, and germinate than tomato seeds and to get out to the point where they're ready to plant outside. And then they become one of the hardest things to grow. <laughs> but in the meantime, people have a real sense of, of victory and, and success uh, with just a few basic things to know about starting tomatoes. And this is a great example, you two, of, of being able to choose varieties through seed that you normally wouldn't find in a garden center. And, and, the, and to me, the best tasting, most delicious, most exciting and beautiful fruit that you can grow in your garden comes from seeds from tomato varieties. And, and on top of that, you know, tomatoes are famous for their heirloom varieties, which are the ones that have been passed down through multiple generations because of them being worthy of saving because they have such value, albeit whether it's a, a tradition, a family story, or maybe something special, sentimental that families want to pass down. And equally as important is that they're just so darn good. They're delicious or the color or the growth habit, whatever, or all of the above. So uh, if you did nothing else, starting tomatoes from seed would give you a sense of accomplishment and success and give you the confidence that you need to take it to the next step with other things. Definitely. So do you start tomatoes indoors or so directly in the garden for anyone wondering? This is one of those ones where you want to start them indoors because you need the extra time indoors to get them up and going to the point that they're ready to grow outside once that risk of frost has passed. You need that grow time of six to eight weeks so that they are large enough to safely transplant as seedlings because then they're going to take on average 65 to 75 to 100 days before they're able to put on fruit. And if you don't get that head start indoors, you may not have enough time, especially in the shorter growing seasons, to be able to get fruit before the risk of frost in the fall kills them back. So you need... You really have to have that extra time indoors to get them to that point. Yes. And Lisa, you also start indoors and you do three quarter inch soil blocks and bump up to two inch soil blocks. I do. I do. And, you know, I just want to also mention, if you are not watching this on YouTube, I am sitting here looking at this basket of the beautiful oh. tomatoes that Joe has grown. And I'm mm. thinking of tomato pies. I'm thinking mm. of mozzarella, basil, olive oil, and onions. Yeah. I mean, it's just, that is just, it's a feast for the eyes as well as um, for the stomach. And you will not find those available right. out no. shelf. So you got to do, but then the challenge, would you not agree, Joe? Then it's like, which seeds do I buy? Cause there are literally, do you know how many tomato seeds are there? Oh gosh. Thousands. I don't know. The yeah, number. I was going to so. say thousands, but yeah, there are. Um, yeah. So there is a challenge there. So you have to kind of like control yourself. But oh, I mean, they're so gorgeous. That's the other thing that yeah. you didn't eat. I'm just looking at them on your in your. I know. Garden. Yeah. And yeah. for anyone facing a dilemma of having too many tomato seeds, they have a very long shelf life if they're stored. Properly. Yes, they do. So just yeah. go ahead and buy them. <laughs> <They'll be laughs> you know, fine. that's a great point, Lane, because I do this. I save my seeds and I end up with a bunch of seeds from, you know, going back years. 
and Lisa, to your point, it's it's hard to control yourself because even though I know <laughs> I have saved seed, saved seeds that are viable, I still buy in that current yep. year the same seeds from you know my seed companies. Yeah. And um, the restraint thing, exercising restraint, what a joke that is because <laughs> this year, every well, year I always say I'm going to grow less. And now I'm up, to, I have 59 varieties I've got oh, in my wow. right now. Yeah. yeah wow. I, I, hear, I hear you, Joe. We just, Lane and I were just discussing, um, we're in the middle of our warm season seed starting. I already have 34 trays of so, different celosias, 34 <laughs> different celosias. And that's just one of many. Anyway. Gosh. So, wow. Look at that. Those beauties. Yeah. yeah. All right. So are there any seed starting tips that come to mind for tomatoes? Yeah. They, they like soil warm. So around 85 degrees Fahrenheit. And so every seed has a preferred temperature range in which it needs to germinate. And it can be a pretty liberal range, maybe 50 degrees on both sides. But once the soil temperature is outside of that range, they're either not going to germinate or they could be damaged or, or, or those are the two things. So you want to, first of all, make sure that your soil temperature is within the, in the range. And if you're growing them inside in a, in your home environment, chances are that range is already there. But with tomatoes, my house is not 85 degrees inside in the wintertime. So I get a heat mat or germination mat technically, and I can get the temperature up closer to where the temp, the tomatoes are ideally suited, which gives you a little extra, uh, they germinate a little more quickly and more uh, consistently and yeah. you have better results overall and that's often the case with many of the things you're going to sow especially the warmer season crops but tomatoes and peppers for sure yeah so that'd be the first one first tip perfect and can you talk about when people go to transplant their tomato seedlings why it might be beneficial to plant deep oh gosh with tomatoes they have um those little white fibers that you see on the stem are called adventitious, adventitious roots and, and what happens is if those are in contact with soil, they, they actually become roots. They're not roots until they come in contact with the soil. But the more roots that you can have on a plant, the better the water and nutrition uptake, uptake and the hardier they are, the more drought tolerant they are. And oftentimes as home seed starters with tomatoes, seedlings especially, those seedlings grow so fast and oftentimes they do so and they stretch, you know, they want to get to the light. And that creates a long spindly stem. It's often term, referred to as leggy. And um, it's not the prettiest thing. It's not the healthiest thing for the plant. But with tomatoes, you can take those long spindly leggy seedlings at transplant and bury them completely right up to the top leaf set. And uh, you're going to end up with a much healthier. I mean, it's not kind of it's not a bad thing that you have leggy spindly seedlings because you can get roots out of those. And in the transplant, you can correct all, all the woes of the first four weeks. Oh, yes. All right. Can you talk about supporting your tomato plants? Because it is very important to support them for a number of different reasons. So what do you prefer to do? Okay. So this has evolved over many years of growing tomatoes and being very frustrated with the options that I had to the point that I took matters into my own hands quite a few years ago now. Um, and, and living on five acres, we have farm animals and stuff. And so we have livestock panels laying around. And in my frustration one year to finally say, look, I need to come up with a better way to support my tomatoes. I was thinking, and what could I do? And I started looking at those livestock panels and I said, you know, I could make something out of that. And I'm not a handy DIY guy, but when I put my mind to something, I usually can come up with a solution. So I took those livestock panels and I didn't have any plan in advance, but I just started working with it in the moment and ended up creating what I call the ultimate tomato cage, which I think people around the world have adopted that name because yeah. they're the sturdiest, most easiest cages I've ever worked with. They're tall enough. They're strong enough. They support themselves. They store easily. They don't rust. They're aesthetically pleasing and, um, they're worth it. You know, a cattle panel these days or a livestock panel has gone up in price a lot from what I used to pay right around 20 bucks. Now they're closer to 40, but I'm still telling you it's worth it because you get two, two cages out of one 16 foot panel, a tall tomato cage, and then one that you can, it's a little bit shorter. So it's good for peppers and eggplants and squash or anything else. And it's worth it because it's a one-time expense and those cages are going to outlive me. I'm telling you 12 <laughs> years into these cages I had, there's not a lick of rust on them. And they're as good as new and they're a joy to work with. They're easy to set up and easy to take down. And like I said, the stackability, if nothing else, you know, compared to the orange round concrete yeah. reinforcement wire, those are great, but it's hard to undo them. They have a memory and they stay in place and you got to kind of 
stack them up and they get pretty high. These stack on top of each other in an L shape. And so you can get, you know, 50 cages in a, in a four foot tall stack. I mean, I love that. That is such a great tip. And I love cages too. I think cages are just the easiest thing. Lisa, what do you do on the farm? So we do what's called the Florida weave, which is the way they're commercially done, which not everybody, you know, has a hundred foot row of tomatoes as we do. And that's staking. I mean, you can search engine Florida weave for tomatoes Mm. and see it. And it just requires stakes and string um, and works really well. But I personally definitely prefer cages. And that's, we use a lot of live, we use a lot of livestock panels here, Joe. And Mm. I just may try that. Yeah. And and we, and there's video. Uh, how to I walk you through the whole thing and I and I document it in pictures and steps. Uh, so we've got, you know, if you guys put a link up, there's a one. Yeah, for that. I'll put a link for that in the show notes. Okay. So are there any tips you have once the tomatoes are out in the garden growing? Is there anything that comes to mind for that? Yes. Uh, I want you to mulch under the base of your tomato plants because tomatoes, you know, I, I said earlier on, you know, they're one of the easiest things to start from seed, but then they're really challenging in the ground. Tomatoes, especially depending on where you live, like if you're in a hot, humid climate, they're very susceptible to diseases. Even though, even the hybrids that are resistant to certain diseases doesn't make them disease proof, you know? So we're dealing with challenges with diseases and pests, but one of the best things that you can do for both is to add mulch underneath your plants, which is whatever you want to use. I use semi-composted shredded leaves for that, but you could use straw or you know, finely ground wood, bark. But the point of it is there's a lot of reasons for mulch, but with tomatoes, especially it helps hold diseases that live in the soil. They keeps them there. And so when you get a rain event, the rain isn't causing diseases to splash up onto your foliage. The rain is uh, with mulch. The mulch is buffering the impact of the rain to keep your soil from being compacted. It cuts down on weed pressure and it helps hold moisture in the soil and it moderates soil temperatures. So like one of the most important things you can do once you plant your tomatoes is, is mulch your beds around it. I agree. And what would you say is the biggest challenge you have with growing tomatoes in terms of pests or diseases, or what do you hear from people? Their biggest challenge seems to be. Well, it, I, I'll tell you this, it doesn't matter how good of a gardener you are. Mother nature's in control. So if you're a yeah. beginner or you're a veteran like me, you're still going to be dealing with the same challenges every year right. with tomatoes. Those diseases are coming in, like it or not, especially where I live. Uh, And so being proactive, being out there, the more you can be out in your garden, paying attention, the better. I mean, it should be an enjoyable thing for you to be out there and you shouldn't feel overwhelmed or depressed because, you know, the garden's getting away from you. And one of the best things you can do to prevent that from happening is be, be out there enjoying your garden. But while you're out there, pay attention to the changes from day to day or as often as you can get out there. And if you see diseases start to show up, you know, yellowing of the foliage or spots on your foliage that you haven't seen before, being proactive and getting ahead of it and cutting out those those signs of disease before they have a chance to spread will help manage and minimize the impact of diseases. It doesn't mean it's going to prevent all those diseases there. Let me tell you, don't feel bad if you get diseases because you will. And they come in from everywhere. They're in the soil, they're in the air, they're on your clothes, they're on your tools, they're coming. But the more you can do to um, try to circumvent that by being proactive, the better. And that's, so that's what I'm doing more than anything else with my tomatoes is uh, disease patrol and proactively taking out what I see as I see it. Yeah. Being observant is such an important skill for gardeners to develop. Lisa, do you have any challenges with tomatoes that stand out to you? Oh, just deer. Oh, deer love them as much as we do. And that's probably one of the only crops that we just have because we can't have deer fencing here in the city. Wow. And um, so that is just always. So we plant some for them and try to keep them happy um, in their area. But other than that, we... um, we just love growing tomatoes. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Lisa, do you plant a, a peripheral row of tomatoes that they, they get to, or is it just part of a row that they get? So they tend to graze the one end of our garden. You know, mm-hmm. that's where they're, where yeah. they kind of walk through going yes. from property to another, because, you know, I'm totally surrounded in houses. Yeah. Um, and so the back end of the rows is where they tend to do the most pressure. And there's, I mean, we don't have strong pressure. We might have 10 deer here in our neighborhood. Um, And so, you know, 
10 plants along with everything else and all of our neighbor's yards mm-hmm. really ma- minimize the deer pressure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's and some years are worse than others. Some years we lose none with no steps taken. So it just really literally, I think, depends on which way the wind's blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have very severe deer and rabbit pressure in our garden here, and also a lot of pressure from birds. And they love to eat our tomatoes. And it's not that they don't have water. We have bird bass everywhere. They will get a drink of water, pick some tomatoes, and then they'll go sit and eat a tomato on a table that we have nearby. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. In addition to deer, birds are kind of our biggest problem. <laughs> So how can you tell when a tomato is ready to harvest? Mm-hmm. Great question. Okay, there's this thing called a breaker stage. And so as the tomato is ripening up, you know, we all envision that peak of freshness, vine ripe, homegrown tomato. And so we wait, we wait, we wait, we we see we're getting close. And then we decide, do we pick it now or do I wait another day or this afternoon or whatever? You know, you're so close. And if you are one of those people, and i don't blame you for being that person that wants that perfect tomato at the peak of perfection. You're waiting too long because there are too many risks involved in that last day between when you yep. could pick it and when it's ready. So I call uh, it's called the breaker stage. But when I pick my tomato and I've, I've been doing this for years and I challenge anybody to, to, to show me that the tomato at the peak of freshness is better than what I pick it at. The breaker stage is when it's about 35 to 40% full color. So you see the color coming on, it's blushing, it's already full size, but the science is there that if you pick it at that point, everything that tomato has to fully ripen off the vine is in the tomato, but you can safely remove the tomato at that point uh, and then put it inside. And then within a day, two days, three at the most, but usually just two, it's full color and full flavor. And as I said, it's already full size without the risk of the deer and the birds and the rabbits or, you know, whatever may come. Uh, and so you get a hundred percent success really when, I mean, how many times have we had our hearts broken when we thought we were going to wait another few hours and then that's when the bird or the chicken or whatever came and plucked into it. So the breaker stage is when I do it. I fully agree with that. And do you ever plant successions of tomatoes? You know, I, every year I say I'm going to do it, but honestly, Lane, uh, I take my suckers and I pop those up and I have a beautiful yep. inventory of backup plants that I say I'm going to pl- that I'm going to put back into the garden when the other ones come out or when one gets diseased and I pull it out I have a a vacancy where I can put in a new plant but honestly I'm so busy dealing with the tomatoes I have and and as much as I love growing them I'm kind of burned out by the yeah. late July early <laughs> yeah. August I don't have the energy I have the time it, we, I have enough time to grow out a whole new crop of tomatoes but I've yet to do it and and uh, Lisa, you know Brie Arthur, right? You know Brie. Oh yeah, in Raleigh. Yeah, she she's convinced. She's decided. She's totally adopted a June, early July planting for her first round of tomatoes to to get past the disease mm-hmm. and pest cycle. And she says she's had the best tomato crop she's ever had, waiting until summer to start hers. I couldn't, I don't have the willpower to do that. I have actually done that as well, and I will yeah? say it definitely seems to help for wow. me. And so as a commercial farmer, um, we have a good commercial vegetable grower, organic um, farmer friend, and they put in, you know, probably 5,000 more plants by July 15th. That's the cutoff date, nice size transplants. And yes, it is the, it's a much better crop. You're hungry for the first crop. Yeah. But that second crop is just easier disease wise and pest pressure. Um, It really really makes a big difference. And I like you, Joe, I have, I I have the best intentions every year, (laughs) but I'm, you know, I'm the opposite of you here. Flowers take the first seat. We do successions of flowers, but the vegetables kind of fall by the wayside. Understood. Okay. So what are your favorite varieties? Black creme, Cherokee purple, pineapple, sun gold, um, probably Dr. Weish's yellow or Lillian's yellow and uh black brandy wine. I like a full bodied, I like a full bodied, complex, acidic tomato. If you didn't figure that out. Yes. Lisa, how about you? So we have a, a family variety of brandy wines. It's called Blosser brandy wines. 
which are yellow and they are amazing. Mm. Um, so brandy wines, I'm a big beef girl. I married a man that's into big beefs, yep. sun gold, Cherokee. Um, and then another hybrid that we tend to grow um, just because they kind of survive, even if everybody else falls victim is celebrity. Um, yeah. And it's just a nice yeah. mid-sized tomato. Yep. Um, yep. And yeah, so we get a lot of family hand-me-down seeds that are mm -hmm. unnamed. They're all kind of in that brandy wine family. We like big ones. And then yeah. what's your favorite yeah. way to eat your tomatoes? I put them on my sandwich. I, 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 um, I use fake bacon. I use turkey bacon, but I'm a BLT lover um, with a big fat slice of, that's why I love the big slicers too, is uh, yes. gosh. And then, you know, salt and pepper and it's, that's a slice of heaven. Literally. It's amazing. That's it. it. Is. Lisa, you know, which one I forgot to mention mortgage lifter. Oh yeah. Um, oh, same here. Yeah. Good mortgage one. lifter is another good one. Um, we've become huge tomato pie fans. Mm -hmm. um, that's just a quick and easy meal to fix. It's delicious. And we always have tons of them, but, um, but we like tomatoes everywhere. I mean, we can tomatoes, we freeze tomatoes, yeah. we eat tomatoes. We do everything with tomatoes. Oh, sounds so good. Yeah. All right. Next, we are going to move on to my personal favorite crop, which is peppers. Again, it's another fruit. Why are peppers in your must grow list, Joe? Well, um, I like the varieties that I can't find in the garden center for one. Uh, I think peppers growing as seedlings that you started from seed are beautiful. I mean, every, every, honestly, every seedling you start from seed is beautiful, but, <laughs> yes. um, peppers, I I'm also a guy that loves a challenge and I'm telling you, peppers are not the easiest thing to start from seed. They take their sweet time. Even though they're in the same family as tomatoes, they are dramatically different as to how long it takes for them to get up and going. And if they're the hot ones, they take even longer. And they, I'm it, just a little anecdotal side note here. You know, we have a little business, my daughter and I, and we sell our seedlings in the spring. And I start my peppers a month earlier than my tomatoes. So I start them in the early January. But because some of them take so long to grow, I, ha I have to apologize to my customers in middle of April when they buy this little tiny pepper plant that I promise them is going to get bigger once it gets hotter and the soil gets warmer and it will take off. And it does. And I never get any complaints, but I got to say, it's a little bit embarrassing when you're charging seven bucks for a plant and it's, you know, the size of your thumb. But anyway, that said, they are, um, it just takes some, uh, it takes some attention. I love the challenge and I'm always learning from my tomato, my peppers and, uh, I aspire to be better every year and I still, I don't feel like I'm there yet. I was just going to say, so Joe, I started doing something several years ago that changed my pepper starting life. We don't, I don't eat peppers, unfortunately, Okay. okay. but okay. we grow them as ornamentals for cut yes. flowers. Um, and some master gardener event I was at, a, a, a gentleman came up and said that he actually soaks his pepper seeds for just about no more than an hour, just to really hydrate yep. the seed yep. before he plants. Um, and we do that. And I will tell you that not because a lot of the pepper seeds that we grow, as so many people are very pricey seeds, right? Yes, yes. Um, I literally came home from that conference that I yep. was speaking at and pulled the plant, the seeds out, soaked them and replanted them because I had, it was a replant because I had poor germination. It not only got better germination, but it speeded it up. And we start them in three quarter inch blocks and then bump them up. Um, but we, I mean, right now, cause we are actually growing the seed of a special pepper called rooster peppers, which are great cut flower peppers. Mm. And um, I have a tray downstairs um, that is hundred percent germination. I mean, and it's because yep. they just, I'm not sure the science behind that, but That's I did what he suggested and it worked. Okay. Just a quick note to that. I did the same thing this year, just experimenting with worm casting extract to, to see if there was any benefit yes. to that compared to not soaking. So I'd soak my extract the pepper seeds in straight extract uh, for like eight hours and compared it to the ones I didn't soak. And like you, Lisa, it was night and day difference. And yeah. I even sent the extract maker pictures. He was blown away. But uh, to your point, it was, it was, I'm going to do that. I just didn't remember to do it for the rest of them this season, but I'm going to make that a, a standard operating procedure yeah. for me because it made a big difference. Yeah, it does make a big difference. 
Okay. Aside from soaking the seeds, do you have any additional tips for seed starting or growing peppers? Definitely. They, they like the hottest soil. So like 90 degree Fahrenheit. I set my germination mats to around 90 degrees and it makes a big difference. They, they get up and going faster. Uh, it, honestly, that's about it. Uh, the, yeah. the warm soil is the key and getting an early start because they still do take their time. And I do, I do time mine for about four weeks earlier than with my tomatoes. But if you can give them good warm soil, uh, that's the main thing. And, and of course, good soil mix. Right. And you cage your peppers as well. Yeah, sure do. Because the weight of the fruit from those peppers is going to break the branch, especially with your bells. But even, even with your hot peppers, you're mm-hmm. going to get clusters on those branches that's going to weigh down the branches such that they're going to break if you don't have something for those to support those branches. And they're pretty tall too, you know? Oh, yes, they do, Lisa. And they're a pleasure to harvest when they're supported. I mean, that's the part people don't get. It's easier to pull a weed here or there. If there's something developing down on the ground, you can see it just makes it all so much simpler when they're supported properly. Yeah. And are there any particular challenges in terms of pests or diseases that you typically face on peppers? Yeah. Bacterial spot is the most common disease on peppers. It's very common. It overwinters in the debris in your soil. It's hard to eliminate. And it also comes in new, not just overwintering in the soil. And you're probably going to see it on your peppers. It's, it's widely distributed west of the Rockies, east of the Rockies. And um, I will tell you this though, I get it pretty much every year and I don't worry about it. You're going to get a lot of leaf drop early on and it's going to freak you out and you're going to wonder what's happening. Uh, and your plants are going to look pretty thin because of the leaf drop. But if you will, if you will clean up the debris as it drops or shake your plants and let the leaf fall and get those up, they're going to rebound and they're going to recover on their own. I don't even treat for it. And, um, I end up with bumper crop September, October, but um, that's the number one thing to look out for. There's not a lot of pests that really bother me with peppers. Yeah, we have a herd of deer that has developed a penchant for jalapenos, but that's another story. <laughs> Lisa, do you have any issues with peppers? No, we um, they just won't stop producing. I mean, yes. they're pretty daggone amazing. They and, are. Um, yeah. So this past year we were growing for seed for that rooster. I mean, I literally could not believe the volume of peppers because we weren't harvesting them as they were ripening. Right. Mm. Um, and so peppers, um, like Joe said, it's um, the same disease issue. And we literally have no pest issues. Yeah. Um, and our yeah. deer have not touched peppers <laughs> that I know. That's because they're at Lane's place. Yeah, they're all over at my house. Okay, so how can you tell when a pepper is ready to harvest? Well, it's interesting. If you you know what the mature color looks like from the package or from your information, when it looks that color and it's of the size it should be, that's when it's ready to harvest. Now, you can harvest a pepper prior to that, and it's interesting that even green peppers that you buy as green peppers will color up to typically red or purple uh, or yellow sometimes. Uh, because every every true mature color of a pepper is something other than green. But yeah. you can pick it early, but you can wait. And waiting is going to be sweeter and tastier. And do you ever plant successions of peppers? No. I, again, they take long in your garden to grow and fruit. And by that time, I don't have time to plant another crop. Yeah. And they just don't have too many problems for me either. Like you yeah, said. Right. Yeah, right. Right. I have all I need. I don't need a succession plan. Yeah, exactly. All right. So what are your favorite varieties? Mm, I like the bells. I like the orange. Uh, well, I like Shishido, which is a, a, a got some heat in it. So it's not a bell. I just shifted gears on you. Uh, <laughs> it's more like a, a longer, thinner one, uh-huh. that you, you know, saute. Uh-huh. And you, yeah, it's just delicious. But anyway, I like bell peppers. I love anything that goes into salsa. So whatever those peppers are, and I like some oh. heat. But I grow a lot of peppers because I use bell peppers more than anything else. So orange bell, red bell, uh, you know, I'm not fancy with my peppers. That's for sure. And how do you like to eat your peppers? Salsa you just mentioned? Um, oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> salsa, number one. And then I just, I always am chopping up peppers and putting them into, I love savory, saucy, spaghetti, chili stuff oh, with a yeah. good tomato sauce in it. And, you know, it just makes it so much better when you chop up peppers of all different colors and put it in there. So 
in and the then Lisa, you said you don't really like to eat peppers. Well, yeah, I can't eat peppers. And so we just really don't grow them. But my, our good friend, Amy's garden, who is our organic farming friend, I used to get from her for Steve. She would have little boxes. They would call them salsa boxes, which were lots of little mixed little hot peppers and sweet peppers. And um, I do not know the names of them, but peppers are beautiful. And that's why we grow them as ornamentals. Um, so yeah, but peppers are strong growers too. Very productive. Yes. Mm. All right. Now we're going to move on to a cool season crop. Why is spinach one of your must grow vegetables? Because I like to eat a lot of <laughs> spinach for one. And if I were to pay for seedlings, I would probably be broke. Uh, but spinach is such a forgiving bulletproof plant in the garden. So you don't really need a lot because it's one of these cut and come again crops. You can cut from the outside or cut across the top and it will grow back. And the other beauty is, you know, through this winter vortex that we had over Christmas, when things got down to single digits or minus, my spinach was one of only one of only two things that survived the wintertime uncovered uh. and protected, which was amazing. Not really, but still amazing compared to everything else bit the dust. But, but um sowing the seed it's uh it's easy once you know how to do it properly but it's super challenging until you get it right for at least for a lot of people because there's a technique that i've found that makes all the difference in the world just like lisa you were talking about soaking the pepper seeds there's a technique called priming with spinach that makes all the difference in the world and it starts with soaking but i had very challenging issues trying to get more, you know high percentage germination with my spinach for years and i you know a little embarrassed about it because i like i should know how to do it amy turned me on this priming technique years a few years ago and here's how it works you take your spinach seed and you soak it in water for about 24 hours and then you take it out and you dry it on like a paper towel or a coffee filter for about two days and then you put it into a ziploc bag or something for another five to seven days then you sew it oh my gosh I'm not exactly sure what the science is, but I think it's because you give it that chance for the water to imbibe into the embryo through the seed coat, and then it initiates the germination process. And while the conversion process is starting to take place within the seed coat, it is it is metabolizing. It's doing what it needs to do so that you know five or seven days later, when you put it into soil with new moisture, it has what it needs to really hit the ground running. So it's kind of like got a kickstart inside of itself that doesn't exist until you do this priming technique, but it really makes the difference. It's a night and day difference. And the other cool thing is if you prime too many seeds for what you have room to plant one season, don't get rid of those seeds just because you soaked them and you don't think they're going to be good anymore. I've taken primed seeds and saved them for more than a year. I just did this recently with a trial and they germinated at hundred percent. So even though they were wow. primed a year before, they still germinated, but it's a huge thing. And spinach is one of the most nutritious, delicious crops that is so prolific for much of the season, much of the years, with the exception of summertime. There's no reason not to set aside some room in your garden for spinach. My gosh. And you know, Lane, Atroplex is in the spinach family. And we have strugglers with that sowing that seed. Joe, I'm gonna I'm gonna put some in water when we get off here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Try that. Good. So Joe, I now I want to plant some spinach. So when do you plant it? I mean, I know it's fall and probably very early spring. When is mm -hmm. the when did you plant in the springtime to so, yeah, I start my seeds in February and I plant them out about four weeks later. And that's four weeks before my frost-free date here. So they can take the cold and you can get those seedlings into the ground and they're going to be fine, even though it's still cold outside. And so then you it, start them in, you start them indoors. Oh yeah. Yeah. I start them inside and you know, I, I've had great success outside too, priming them first. So um, I think the, the key is priming, whether you start them yeah. inside or outside, but I have a, such a beautiful, beautiful trays of seeds that I've started inside that are just gorgeous. And they just do well for me once they're primed. They're easy to grow inside once you prime them. That That's, was the tip of the day. That is Good. such a great tip. And we are going to have to try that on Atroplex, Lisa. So yes. do you have any other growing tips for spinach once it's out there in the garden? You know, you don't, you don't need to know anything else. I mean, if you just give them, you know, compost amended soil, I like to mulch everything and just consistent moisture. Seriously, you could, you could kind of neglect them. 
and they're going to do what they do. And there's such a low maintenance, easy to grow crop. It's just, I mean, if somebody wants something easy to grow, that's delicious and they're going to use a lot, grow spinach. Yes, that is so true. And can you talk about harvesting? Oh gosh. And that's the other beauty of it. You know, you don't, you don't pull the plant up to harvest it. You just cut from the side or cut across the top an inch and a half above the basil rosette in the middle, the grow tip, the grow point, and it'll keep sending out new growth. And, uh, I mean, it's just a very generous plant, you know, for, yes. Yeah. That's a good word to describe it. Do you plant successions of spinach? Uh, yeah, I do. Actually, I do. Cause I like, I like getting that fresh, young, tender growth. And a lot of times it grows yes. so fast that I miss the opportunity to get the young tender leaves and then they get big. And then I use those for sauteing, you know, that's great in a pan sauteed for fresh, hot spinach as a side dish, but I love it in my salads, but I love the smaller leaves for that. And so if I don't succession plant, a lot of times I miss the window for the small leaves and then I got to cut back and wait for the regrowth. But if I succession plant, Usually I have a better chance of catching the size leaves that I want. Yeah. And what are your favorite varieties, if any come to mind? Um, I like a smooth leafed, not a ruffled leaf. And I'm, the name escapes me right now, but I grow it all the time. That's okay. I quit looking at the name because I've just been sewing it over and over again. Yeah. But a smooth leaf is your preference. Yeah. And then what's your favorite way to eat that spinach? In salads are sauteed. I mean, I love it both ways. So I like the bigger leaves for the sauteing and we eat a lot of spinach and it's so easy to, you know, you put it in a pan with a little garlic and salt and maybe a splash of olive oil, but it's done in two minutes at the most. And so that's easy, but then salads, I mean, gosh. Oh, spinach. salads, yeah. Oh, yes. Lisa, are you a spinach eater? Oh yeah, I buy boxes of spinach. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we use make do spinach salad. I mean, it's just it's just so good for you. And I, I mean, I'm just thrilled to try spinach again, Joe. I mean, because yeah. it was uh, it was the germination challenge that kept yeah. me from growing it. Because to be able to start them indoors and plant them out is just so much easier than direct sowing for us. Um, Lisa, yeah, there's that a is just a great tip. Yeah. And, and on my Instagram feed, oh, in a recent reel there, there, I showed a tray of spinach that I'd sown and, um, it's just in 72 cell tray, 1020, it's blowing up. I mean, you'll see it's crazy. That's awesome. Okay. Well, those were three of Joe's must grow vegetables from seed. Thank you so much for sharing all that information. If you like what you heard and you'd like to learn even more about growing your own vegetables, Joe, can you tell everyone how they can connect with you? And can you introduce us all to your brand new online course, organic vegetable gardening? <laughs> Gladly. Thank you. JoeGardner.com. That's you know, anything Joe Gardner uh, will find me, but joegardner.com is the hub, the main website, lots of links there to a ton of information from YouTube videos to the online courses and the podcast, the Joe Gardner show podcast. And so that would be the one place to probably start. And then there's links to all the social at the bottom there. But um, the online gardening Academy is a, is a, is a online learning opportunity that I started in 2018 to give people an opportunity to learn more if they wanted to go deeper on particular subjects. And I started with beginning gardener fundamentals, but, and that just took off and people wanted more and more and more. And so we've been creating courses ever since, and we're about to launch our biggest, best course and program and a very, in just a matter of days, or it's actually going to be live here. I think by the time we, we go live with this podcast yeah. and um, it's called organic vegetable gardening and it's not your um, there's nothing else like it. Let me just say that we, we feature in videos from start to finish. So seed to seedling into the ground through harvest time. We, when we're done, we'll have 40 of the top warm and cool season crops that I've documented from my garden on how to grow it. And the whole premise is to make you feel like you're in the garden with me as I'm walking you through all the things to know from start to finish to grow that plant or that crop organically. And uh, in addition to that, so there's that right there. We pulled our television production crew off of growing a greener world for a year we brought them into my garden and we have been filming here all last year. And actually it's been in the works longer than that. So nobody else has done that since we did it when I was the host of Fresh from the Garden on DIY work, DIY network back in the early 2000s. It's hard to do and it takes a lot of commitment of time and resources to pull that off. But we committed it and to this with the intention of creating this course. And then we have some of the top experts 
in their fields on that we're going to bring in for masterclass Zoom courses. And Lisa, you're coming in for one. And um, we have quite a few, like about twice a month of those folks. So we're investing in bringing that talent in to really enrich the opportunity and uh, some live demonstrations from the garden in real time as they come up for more information that you're going to need to know. And we offer lifetime access. So what isn't there right now? What's new that happens and what we'll be able to add in the future will be there for you too. It's it's obviously I'm excited about it. It's the it's the biggest project I've ever taken on, and it's coming to, uh, you know, it's about to happen. So uh, I think people are really going to love it. For our students who are already in the Online Gardening Academy, they've had a preview of what's to come, and they are so over the top excited. And they're my biggest critics. I mean, they know the bar is already high for what they've invested in with their previous courses. And they've seen what's ahead and they are, they are busting the doors down to enroll. Well, we are very excited about it as well. I'm sure it's going to be just beautifully filmed, packed with everything you need to know. Lisa, do you have anything else to add? I mean, looking at this image that's up on the screen of, I mean, just the variety of vegetables and, you know, Joe, it's all about education, you know, yeah. it's, it's the, the way to success, whether you are a home gardener, no, you're not born knowing how to do all this. You have to invest in yourself. And that's how we feel as flower farmers. It's like, I yeah. want to go from not knowing what to do to doing it successfully as quick as I can. And education is what fills that. It is. Um, and so this is just such a tremendous opportunity to learn from, you know, the, the vegetables that you want to grow, how to do it from beginning to end. So right. I, we're, we're totally excited and can't wait yeah. um, for to, to, to catch a glimpse of this well, and to be part of um, learning from you. Thank you. It's it's a pleasure to do it. And everything you see in those pictures came out of my garden, warm and cool season crops. It's going to keep that garden busy all year round. And I want people to feel empowered to be able to do the same thing. And the course is going to help them do just that. Well, thank you so, so much for being here, Joe. We really, really appreciate it. I'm going to put links to everything we've talked about in the show notes. And yeah, just thank you for being here. And thanks everyone for watching or listening. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure to talk to you too. Yeah. And I'm telling you, the spinach seeding tip will go down in history. <laughs> try that it. Let so, me know. That is know awesome. You. That is just Good. so great. I just can't wait to try it. And that's why we have to always have our ears on and learning and reaching out. Absolutely. So friends, we appreciate you joining us here today. Lane will have some great show notes with all the information of um, where you can go to learn more about everything you've heard about today. And if you want to learn more about the work that we're doing at the Gardener's Workshop, you can head on over to thegardenersworkshop.com and um, we would love to have you connect with us over there. So friends, until we meet again, bye Lane, bye Joe. Bye. Bye Lisa, bye Lane. Bye.